Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's lovely to be here, and uh, the topic is rather big, and I found this far more daunting than any other talks that I've done in Oasis, because I thought, well, Jesus, the Son of God, where do I begin? You know, um, where do I start? What could be better? Jesus is my saviour. Uh, he's my Lord. He's my friend, and the one I need above all others. And yet, somehow, as I say, this talks made me feel that much more daunted because where do you pitch in? So uh, before we do, um, we're going to pray. And uh, but just, I just, just a thought came to me actually then about um, Sunday. If any of you were here in the morning when Eleanor Jeans preached about Jesus being the life, I think she preached in the evening too. Um, so I, I think she put a chair, or maybe I'm imagining it, in, imagining it. But I think, yes, she did. Thank you, Rose. You put a chair at the front and she said, uh, you know, it would be something like, something like, it would be so much easier if Jesus was here with us. And I thought that with this talk, I thought actually if he was sitting here, I really wouldn't need to say much of anything at all. You know, it, it, it would be done for me. But there we are. Uh, and, and it's just a lovely thought that he's with us anyway. Even if he's not sitting in a chair, he's here. And so let's pray to him now and ask God's blessing on this time. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you are here, that you've already been here by your spirit through the worship. We thank you for Helen's gift and indeed for all the musicians who lead our worship. We're so blessed, Lord, and you bless us by your presence with us. So, Lord, will you be with us right now as we look into your word and make yourself real to us in what I say, that this is for all of our benefit, Lord. In your name. Amen. So we're going to start looking into the Word, and um, we will be using the Bibles a lot, so please do you make use of the Bible um, that's near you. Uh, I think we put, uh, Julia helped me put them out, we, we did sort of every other chair. So um, I unashamedly uh, ask us to look into the Word, because uh, it has been the mainstay of my life, and I really believe that it's how we draw close, closest to God, and actually looking at the Bible, I feel, um, for me personally, I... I I suppose I'm old and, you know, therefore the written word to me, the pages to look at are, are the most helpful. But it doesn't negate what we see on the screen. And Daniel is going to put up for us the key verses and they can stay up there actually if it's easiest, Daniel. Uh, and that is 1 John uh, chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. Now 1 John, for those of you who are not too sure, is very near the end of the Bible. So the last book of the Bible you might know is Revelation. And then you go back from there, it's Jude, and then you've got three letters of John. One John, two John, three John. So uh, it's one John, the first letter of John, and uh, verses 15 and 16. Actually, I've put the page numbers, so if it's easier, page 1227 in the Bibles that you've got there. Okay. I think by the time I finish, I'll have repeated them so many times, we're going to know them by heart. So that's not a bad thing, is it? Okay. If... Anyone, sorry, have, has everybody found it? I'm, I should have waited. 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Did you hear, Margaret? Are you okay, Margaret? Have you found it? Yes? Okay. 1 John 4, verses 15 and 16. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so... We know and rely on the love God has for us. Well, these are pretty encouraging verses, aren't they? Do we believe these two verses to be true? 
that if I, or if we, acknowledge, in other words, we really believe, that Jesus is God's son, God will live in me, he'll live in you, and we will live in him. Does this mean, does this mean now, in this life? Yes, okay, we might accept it's for eternity, when we're in heaven, when the Bible tells us that we'll be changed into Jesus' likeness. But in the here and now, do we believe this and know it for ourselves? So that's what these key verses tell us. And we're going to explore exactly how our belief in Jesus as the Son of God brings us into a real living relationship with him. God living in us and us living in him. And also the second half, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This too can be our experience, which is just amazing. So a little bit of background, just a little bit. The book of 1 John and his other two letters were written by the Apostle John, who also wrote John's Gospel. All through 1 John, belief in Jesus as the Son of God, God's Son, is emphasised. And I wondered why, why was this so important to John, the author, that we should be secure, or that his readers should be so secure in this knowledge of Jesus being the Son of God. Well, it's because when John wrote this, there was a big problem in the early church with false teaching. And the particular uh, the name for it was Gnosticism. Some of you will have heard it. It's a weird word that begins with G, G-N, Gnosticism. And this became so prevalent in the early church that there were even distinctions between the Gnosticism that was around. So there were different forms of this heresy. And uh, the teaching that John is specifically warning about here it, to the early Christian believers is called Serinthianism. So that's a real mouthful, isn't it? Probably, I don't know, a bloke called Serinth. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, these false teachers declared that the divine Christ came upon the man, Jesus, at his baptism and left him before he died on the cross. So in other words, he was only divine in the time between his baptism, which was the beginning of his three-year ministry, and when he, uh, b- before he died on the cross. So that, you know, if you think about it, that means the whole of our faith is nonsense, isn't it? Because, as we know, uh, Jesus had to be fully human in order to identify with us and to take our sins as a man but also as God he was the only one and the old hymn now what is it the um there's a, a green hill far away there was no other good enough to pay the price price of sin he only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in that's it so uh, you know it was completely false and heretical so uh, and we need uh, you know even in, in in our day and age we're not exempt from this type of a problem um, and one or two of us were talking, uh, talking about this earlier how people can you know get into a wrong way of thinking and there's a lot around in the world so it's important but the bible and the new testament in particular is full of statements that make it absolutely clear that jesus is fully human and fully divine and it make, they make it absolutely clear that jesus is the messiah the christ who is promised and that as such he is god's son fully human, fully divine. Now, some of these Jesus said himself. In fact, he said lots of these himself. But others uh, were made by um, people whose eyes were opened to who Jesus was. Um, but the very first one I want us to look at, uh, it's in Matthew's Gospel, so you can start turning. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament, so it's nice and easy to find. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. Uh, page, by the way, the page is 967, 967, if that's easier. And 
it's only short. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So this is not um, a human that has uh, wanted to say something about Jesus' divinity. This is God himself. And it takes place at Jesus' baptism. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, with whom... Oh, sorry, I've missed out a bit. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So God wanted to reinforce his son's deity. And what greater accolade could there be than God the Father via the Holy Spirit, affirming Jesus is indeed his beloved son, and declaring his pleasure that Jesus come to earth to do his will. Right, the second one is one of the disciples. And you may already be guessing who he is. This is still in the same book, Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, the first one in the New Testament, first book in the New Testament, chapter 16, verses 13 to 16. Okay, and it's not long, not, not a long passage. And this is about when uh, Jesus... Uh, talks to his disciples and he asks them who people say that he is. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Or in some versions, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter, we often think of as the one who let Jesus down, don't we? We think, well, he's the one who denied Jesus. But you know, he completely got it, didn't he, about who Jesus was. He, he had no doubts. He knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And Jesus goes on to say, if you want to read it, Peter, this is fantastic. And on your proclamation, on what you've said, and uh, something on him, I will build my church. And, uh, you know, the gates of hell and, uh, and will not prevail against it. So that's fantastic. So he recognized who Jesus was. Now, the last one is somebody rather obscure, perhaps. And this is in Mark's Gospel. I thought this explained it best. Uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. So Mark is the next one on from Matthew, if you're not sure. Mark goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Mark is on from Matthew. And this is page 1023 in your Bibles. And this is only a couple of verses. In fact, really, it's only verse 39. But... Um, while you're finding it, actually, I'm going to tell you, yes, it's, at the, it's, it's the story of the death of Jesus, uh, which is obviously very solemn, and the centurion would have been, if you like, in charge at the scene. So he would have been in charge of the soldiers who literally did crucify Jesus. I'm not saying he would have done the deed himself, but he would have been there instructing them and keeping, uh, supervising. So he would have seen the death of Jesus totally. And it says in verse 37 chapter 15, with a loud cry, Jesus breathes his last, and that's significant. 
It says then that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And here we are, verse 39. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So the soldier, sorry, the centurion, who was a Gentile, he wasn't a Jew, he recognized something of Jesus's divinity in the way that he died. He saw that this was no ordinary human, no ordinary man. This was the son of God. Okay, thank you for sharing with me and looking at those passages. Okay, Jesus as God's son knew exactly why he'd been born into the world. All through the Gospels, he talks of coming to do his father's will, coming to fulfill his mission, coming to seek and to save the lost, which of course is us. He was totally committed to us. He knew he'd come to die for us, bring us back into relationship with God, his father. But the amazing thing is that he's totally committed to us now. How do we know this? So let's look again at these verses on the screen or in our Bibles, 1 John 4, 15 and 16. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in him. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God raised Jesus from the dead, triumphant over four things. I wonder if you can call out or... You know how I love you to put your hands up, the teacher in me, you know, but you don't have to. <laughs> what four things did Jesus triumph over when he died on the cross and God raised him from the dead? Thank you, Sarah. Your hand was up first. <laughs> Death, absolutely. That's the obvious one, isn't it? Death, thank you. What else did he triumph over? Liz, sin. He triumphed over death and sin. What, there are two more. And I think I, I might have already said one when I said about Peter. Um, and uh, and uh, death and something will not prevail. Liz, the other Liz. Hell, yes, he triumphed over hell and one more, which is a person, and we all have to beware of this person, although we mustn't be frightened because he's a defeated foe. Who is he? He's the devil, that's right. Thank you, I knew you would know. So, four things, sin, death, hell, the devil. And I, see, I often remind myself of these in my own quiet times, in my own, I say it out loud. Uh, that, you know, be gone, Satan, because you are the defeated foe. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, God triumphed over, and he's one of them. And we can say that. We can actually say to him, be gone. So Jesus did those things, triumphed over sin, death, hell, the devil. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat at God's right hand. It says that in scripture. To sit down meant that his work was finished. Jesus sat down in the seat of the highest authority and power given him by God. In other words, at his right hand. And this was Jesus's right, not, not the same word, right as in prerogative. It was his prerogative because as God's precious, beloved son, he was the only one who could bring about God's great plan of salvation by taking our punishment for sin when he died on the cross. And I love that, that our worship songs really tapped into that, didn't they? And that last one particularly, uh, oh gosh, my mind's gone blank. Sorry, the last one, we, I can't think of the name of it. Thank you, in Christ alone. Um, when he died on the cross, uh, he took that punishment uh, for our sin. And only Jesus, God's holy, sinless son, could bear our sin instead of us. But it was God's power in raising Jesus from the dead that brought victory and assured his, sin's right, his son's right Sorry, to sit in the seat of highest authority. So the two uh, worked together. And I want to, ex to kind of draw out that that means the two work together in us. And the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to go on your territory because that's next week, Julia. 
Okay, so we have one more reference. If you don't want to turn to it because you feel you've done enough of that, then I will just read it to you, but it kind of proves what I've just said. It is Ephesians, I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you the page number in a minute, Ephesians 1, and it's verse 19 to 22. And this is on page 1173. There's a lot to get through in the Bible, isn't it? It's no wonder that some of us do find it hard. <laughs> so, Ephesians 1, verses 19. And it's talking about uh, God's power in raising Jesus from the dead. That, no, it's not. I'm telling, a, I'm telling a fib. It's talking about God's power in us, just as well I caught, caught myself out there. That power in us is like the working of his mighty strength, when, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So there you are. God the Father, God the Son, are right now working together on our behalf. And yes, the Holy Spirit, we're going to think about more next week. Uh, but if we keep looking at our key verses on the screen, uh, we'll see how. If, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. Now this word security starts to ring in my ears. Rely, we can rely on God. Uh, since God lives in us, we live in him. This, for Christians, is fact. But we may not always feel secure in our relationship. Let's think about that. The fact remains, though, that we are. So let's not forget that. And not only that, we know and rely on that love. What a privileged position that we're in. Can anything this world offers, anything in this life, improve on this? I don't think, not for me anyway. And yet at times, does it feel like these realities, these truths can slip through our fingers like sand? I think that's the case, isn't it? Uh, so if we put it another way, we don't always feel like God lives in us and we in him. Would you agree? I think so. So uh, I wonder if we could think about why. Uh, I'm sure we know that one of the reasons is sin. And I'm not talking about the sin that Jesus has dealt with when we've become Christians, because we know that that's forever and fully, that when we commit our lives to him and ask him into our lives, he uh, wipes the slate clean, as Jonathan always says. But on a daily basis, we're still sin, and we know that we grieve God. Sometimes it's thoughts, sometimes it's actions, or things even that we haven't done. And if we're persisting in something, a wrong attitude, uh, you know, anger or um, unloving, that sort of thing, we know, don't we, our, our, our faults, then that can put up a barrier between us and God. So that's one reason sometimes why we don't feel, feel that closeness. Uh, also, I've put being distracted by things. This is a great problem for me. Uh, sometimes unhelpful things, yes, obviously, that, that, that goes without saying. But even helpful things, and I loved how Lizzie, uh, no, not Lizzie, um, what was her name on Sunday morning? Eleanor. Eleanor Jeans on Sunday morning said that when she knew she should be reading her Bible and praying, she went on Wordle. And I love that. I mean, I'm, ta I'm, I'm taking her name in vain in a way. She's probably, her ears are burning out there where she's sitting. But at the same time, I thought it was a great example. Wordle's really fun. Or anything equivalent. Dawn was doing equivalent this morning. <laughs> but there you are. So there's nothing wrong in that. And it's really good. It's educational, in it, you know, fun or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm non-technical, so I tend not to do these things. But nevertheless, I know for a lot of people, it's a big thing. Uh, of, you know, a fun thing. Uh, and that's not wrong. But... It's balance, isn't it? And these things can help, um, can keep us from focusing on God's love or relying on him even because we just get ourselves caught up in it. 
but the, the, the other one is the worst one. And actually, Helen alluded to this. I hope she doesn't mind me saying when she said about her mum-in-law dying this week. Circumstances beyond our control. They can crowd in and they can make uh, us feel just completely overwhelmed at times. They, they d I'm very guilty of that because I'm very sensitive. So things can knock me right out, you know, uh, and it, it's hard. Uh, there are more. I'm sure you'd think of other ways, uh, and that's that's uh, that's obvious. But these can all make us stop feeling or sensing that he really does live in us and we in him. And yet our verses tell us that if we acknowledge or believe Jesus is God's son, God really does live in us and we in him, and that we can rely on that love he has for us. So last week, Caroline talked to us about God as our father, and it was wonderful to think about how we can and should come to him like children. So I wonder, when we were children, did we know and rely, like our verse says, did we know and rely on the love, God, on the love that our parents had for us? As Caroline said, we all had different experiences of our parents, some really good, some less good, some perhaps really not good at all. So it's a bit subjective, maybe, as an, as a, as an analogy. But I can look now at the relationship that my grandchildren have with their parents, their parents being my kids, my children and their spouses. And I can see that, yes, my grandchildren do totally rely on the love and care of their parents. First of all, they're quick to tell their mum and dad when there's something wrong. Two, they're confident that their parents are going to provide what they need, their dinner, when's dinner, you know, they just expect it. And uh, they, they ex instinctively come to their parents for reassurance and for cuddles and love. And so, yes, that is the way we can know and rely on the love God has for us. And so now, the how. Here's the crunch. If I say to you that for us to have a childlike dependence on God and to be relying on him, there are three key things we need to be doing. I think you know what's coming, don't you? Because I usually go on about this every time um, that I'm up here. Do, I'd, I'd really love it if somebody shouted them out. What three things uh, do we need to be doing in order to keep our relationship fresh and to be like children in coming to God all the time? Uh, if, if you think it's obvious, it'll be the right answer, won't it? And besides, yeah, uh, anybody want to? Sorry, read the Bible. Excellent, read the Bible. Right, Rose was going to say that. Gillian. Yes, repenting. It's not one of the three that I was going to say, but you're absolutely right. It should have been. That means there's four. Dawn. Pray. Right, reading the Bible, praying, uh, and yet repenting, definitely. That would be part of it, wouldn't it? Uh, and there's one other. We're, we're, we're together here now, so that's what we're doing. We're already doing this. Fellowship, coming together, because actually, since I've been more involved in St. Paul's, I've grown so much in my faith. The years when I was teaching and... It was such a full-on job because it was a very tough situation, a tough school. Uh, I, you know, I, I kept myself away just because I physically couldn't manage it. But, you know, looking back, I wish I had been more involved because I, I've missed out. And I think the fellowship's so important. But that's all I'm going to say about fellowship because time's moving on. So it's not rocket science, these three things. Uh, we can learn to know and rely. And I do bat on about them because I can't stress their importance enough in order for us to go in faith and get closer to Jesus. In prayer, we ask God for what we need. We pray in his name. We bring our fears for ourselves and others, and we ask his guidance in our lives. And sometimes that guidance, that guidance is hard to, to find, but, you know, we know that he is guiding us. We also listen to what God wants to say to us, and we have the best tool for this or equipment for it uh, to help us listen, and that's the Bible. The Bible shows us ourselves, uh, all uh, our sin and need of God's love and all that his son has done for us. And one of the key places for this is the Gospels, because Jesus shows us what God is like. And I think there's no better way to discover for yourself 
uh, God's love for you through Jesus and to read the Gospels. And I did read Luke's Gospel earlier this year. Took ages over it, and I just read small portions at a time, um, focusing on uh, sort of meditating on it and picturing the scene that uh, that, that like I was there and asking God what to, to show me or what He wanted. And I think that Jonathan, Eleanor, and uh, Andy are doing a series on Luke later on this year. So. Uh, you know, why not get ahead of the game? I recommend. It was lovely. I really enjoyed uh, reading Luke's Gospel. Get ahead of the game and start reading that Gospel for yourself, perhaps, if you're not sure where to go next. Some of us do struggle to get down to reading the Bible. And here's another. So here's another idea. During lockdown, which was very difficult for all of us, especially getting together and having fellowship, uh, someone in my uh, evening small group was a bit panicky and she didn't know her Bible too well. So the two of us read the Bible together. And we did that. She also is a teacher. And uh, we did it by, she, um, we, we read John's Gospel. We would read a chapter, sometimes two chapters a week. And then we'd get together in a phone call or FaceTime and talk about and share. But what was amazing was about it was that we marveled together at God's love for us in Jesus. By putting ourselves into the story, we imagined ourselves going to hear Jesus speaking to the people and that we wanted to go along that we were women, both our husbands are not Christians, so, you know, we've got to keep our eye on the clock, which, of course, would have been the sun, the angle of the sun in, the, in those days, uh, because we've got to be back to do the meal. We mustn't, you know, um, overstep the mark. Yet, we were so desperate to hear what Jesus of Nazareth had to say. And uh, we found it so powerful. It was I- extraordinary um, how we learned from each other. Um, but nevertheless, our private times of reading and prayer, when we set aside time, especially when we don't feel like it, Uh, God really honours, and I do believe that, and I've known it in my life. It's hard, but God longs to come to us uh, and for us to come to him, and will bless us if we make up our minds to put him first in this way. But be realistic about prayer and Bible reading. Only set aside a small amount of time so that guilt feelings don't overcome you if you can't manage a lengthier time that you hope for. Uh, especially younger, you, you, all you young ones with babies and children, it's just, you know, better to be realistic, isn't it? He, God won't love us anymore if we only spend five minutes when we planned to do half an hour. You know, it, he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. That Juliet G used to say that, and I'm sure she still does, because it's true, isn't it? Um, so, uh, and we all know about ways into scripture. Some of us uh, ha- have different uh, devotionals or things that, that help us. Um, there are those Lenten leaflets that Juliet and Jonathan G. created a few years back, and they're always um, behind in the welcome desk, I believe. Uh, or join up with others, of course, prayer partner, prayer triplet formation. It's really helpful, as I've already said, to read the Bible, but also to pray with someone else. It really does help us. Um, and we learn then to pray outside of ourselves, don't we? We learn to not just focus on our own needs but on the needs of others and also if we share answers then we see that God's at work and that's so exciting isn't it and we can do that in our own small groups here in Oasis that's what we're all about which is amazing I think Uh, and we're going to talk about that you know in our groups Uh, have I got time to I've got would you rather I stop now because I can I've got one more thing I wanted to say are you sure last but not least we can no one rely on God's love for us by resting in God. Now, some of you might be thinking, I can scarcely get to grips with reading my Bible and praying. How can I possibly rest in God as well? Is this manageable? So what do I mean by resting in God? Well, sometimes when we talk about prayer and Bible reading, it can seem like an awful lot of hard work. 
but it's a good idea to try and set aside a time to creep away somewhere quiet and comfortable, really cozy, and have some alone time without your phone or books or anything like that, except, of course, the Bible, uh, and just be alone with Jesus. Um, and, and just focus on a, a verse that's meant a lot to you or a psalm, maybe playing a worship song or something to get you into that frame of mind. Um, that, that can help me sometimes. Um, and the, yeah, when the thoughts intrude, and they do, if you persevere, uh, uh, that list of jobs, that's, or, or just, just my head is sometimes so noisy. You know, it doesn't even have to be a list of jobs or it, it's just our own head. But ask God to come to you and calm you. Uh, I'm a very fidgety nervy kind of person if I'm telling the truth I mean as a teacher it was fine but I had plenty of energy but actually to settle down and calm down this has been a real learning curve for me to do this resting thing (laughs) and yet I've really loved it when I have made that effort to do it and um, yeah God he he doesn't want us to feel anyway that we're letting him down we're not praying we're not reading the Bible enough you know not serving him enough he just wants us to be with him going back to the father thing you know he wants us to be with him almost sit on his lap and so on and for us to be with him, and he longs to encourage us. Uh, so I just thought I'd leave you, you don't need to turn to it, with a verse that's so well known to us. Jonathan often uses it, and we have it in Oasis too. And it's in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yeah, the the Jesus that we've been talking about, we can come to know in this way and it's so wonderful. So thank you ever so much for listening. I hope I haven't gone on too long. Thank you.